we're calling it Theology for Life. It's a little more of a teaching where we're, we're uh, filling in blanks, try to keep you awake. You may have to try this on Sunday morning. And we're, we're looking at some of the, the most fundamental, important things about Christianity. And I know, I know oftentimes when you talk about doctrine or beliefs, people start to yawn. But remember what we said two weeks ago. What you believe is everything. What you believe determines what you do. If you're wrong on your beliefs, you're going to be wrong in your life. If you're wrong in your beliefs, you can end up in hell. You've got to be right in what you believe to be right in your practice. We looked two weeks ago at the fundamentals, kind of an overview. And tonight we're going to, we're going to begin to try to look at God. And I had all these wonderful things lined out, and I looked at it, and I said, that's going to, we'll be here till 9.30. So we will finish the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in two weeks. But we're, we're going to look tonight at, at God. And to begin with, orthodox Christian belief, and orthodox means mainstream. That's a summary for it. Mainstream Christian belief. Say there is how many gods? There is one God. There's one, I've shown you three fingers. There's one, there's one God. Many years ago when we went, Greg, you remember Greg Phillips went to New York City on a mission trip and, and uh, Amy Barr and my wife and I had an encounter with a Jewish psychiatrist and believe you me, at least Cindy and I needed an encounter with a psychiatrist. But I developed a friendship with this man when we emailed for years. He's passed away since then, but it kind of stunned him when he heard me say as a Christian, we believe there's one God, because that's one of the premises of Judaism, and that would certainly be true of Islam. There's one God, Deuteronomy 6.4. I'll go back, we missed a blank or two. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. That's, that's important, isn't it? You probably don't struggle with God being an intelligent being. If you, if you believe there's a God, you would have to believe he's intelligent. Amen? You would probably believe to some extent he is spiritual. But the fact that he's personal, that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know we have a personal God. Go, go home tonight and look up in the stars and you, if it's a clear night. and you, you, you can be, It can really humble you when you see how much is up there. Knowing that we're only seeing... It's a thimble of what's up there, but to know that God knows you by name. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head, that we have a personal God. Now, here's a, a Christian take on theology. We believe God has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, fill in that other two blanks for me, and Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, however you want to... You want to put it? King James says Holy Ghost. I remember as a kid when I heard the Holy Ghost, it scared me, to be honest with you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. Christian theology calls this the Trinity. We call that the Trinity. Now, again, two weeks we're going to dive into this aspect more. But the Trinity, we believe we have one God who's made himself known in three ways. Each has distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. 
Patsy Hilton. Do we have in the library the Baptist Faith and Message? I imagine we do, don't we? The Baptist Faith and Message, 1963. There was an edition in the year 2000. And it does a great job of treating the Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You might look at that, the Baptist Faith and Message. Each, each God, the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there's three, there's one distinct personal attributes, but without a division of nature, essence, or being. Where do we get this from? Well, I'm going to give you several scriptures. The scriptures will be on the screen. I'll help you fill in the blanks. Genesis 1.26 is peculiar. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, in the likeness of, of, of us, let us make man. Us is what in the English language? It's plural, and it's in the Hebrew of the Bible. The, the verbiage there is plural also. Let us, Matthew three sixteen and 17, we jump over to the New Testament. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. It's sneaky, but did you see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit there? Not so sneaky is uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Read that with me of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I heard a mediocre sermon on that passage Sunday morning. Some of you were here, but you didn't hear it, but, but it was preached here. I love Romans 8 9. Romans 8 9 is an interesting little verse. Again, it's, it's sneaky. You, however, not controlled, not, or not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of who? Christ does not belong to him. Other translations say clearly does not belong to God. So, you see that. I'm going to give you one more because I think these are important. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Right at the end of this, this book, this little verse again is kind of snuck in. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I think that's pretty neat. Again, remember, in two weeks, we're going we're gonna to look more at the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What I want us to do tonight, just, of course, obviously briefly, this is not exhaustive, but some major attributes of God, some major attributes of God. And these are, these are very important for you and for me and for us understanding God and knowing the kind of God we have. Number one, God is self-existent. God is self-existent. God, God's being is not dependent on anyone but God. He is eternal and everlasting. Now, what that means, eternal and everlasting, it means he's always been and he always will be. How many of you got that figured out? Please come forward because you need to be speaking. You'll never get it. You know, I hear young Christians ask me sometimes, when did, how did God get here? Ask that when you get to heaven. That's unanswerable. God's always been and God always will be. In Genesis 1-1, a famous verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1, in our beginning, not his beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Here's some wonderful things. God never changes. 
God never changes. Let me ask you this. How many of you think that's important? Hebrews 13, 8 is a verse I quote to God when I'm praying and needing something. Hey, Jesus, you remember what you did 2,000 years ago? We could use a little bit of that today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's nothing that God did yesterday that he can't do today. There's nothing he he can do today he can't do 2,000 years from now. Isn't that good? I wrote in here, everything changes except God. Now, let me ha- look at me for just a moment. I read yesterday that, that social psychologists and sociologists now, they're not even calling it change. They're calling it revolution. Things are changing so fast. You may not want them to change. I may not want them to change. It doesn't matter. They, our kids have more information in, available to them on their phone than you and I had in the library growing up. Everything changes except God. That's stability, isn't it? And here's another thing, I think, and, and I'll explain. It's a little bit different. God's character is unchanging. God never changes, but his character is unchanging. There's some big words I could have used there, but big words are what? Just big words. Hebrews six eighteen. This is very important. So that by two unchangeable things, we're really looking more at the first one, to which it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Now, on your sheets, read with me what I wrote under this. You can trust God and his word perfectly. This is huge beyond measure. God never plays verbal games with us. He means what he says, and he says what he means. Certainly, we don't know everything about God, but nothing we will learn in heaven about God will ever contradict anything his word tells us about him now. How many of you can say amen to that? Look, you don't want a God who's throwing you curveballs. I hear some theologians that, that that's kind of what they say. Well, the things of God, you can never know. That's true. But what we have here, God says he can never lie. Do you believe that? Is that important to you? Or you want to get to heaven and he goes, ha, ha, I tricked you on the Jesus thing. You're not going to heaven because I lied. We're going to learn a lot more about God when we see him face to face. But we're not going to learn anything that's going to contradict what we know about him now. Isn't that wonderful? I'm telling you, you're talking about beliefs mattering. If you cannot trust who God has revealed himself to us in Jesus and the word, we don't have any hope at all. It's all a, a flip of the coin. But God is unchanging. God is omnipresent. Notice I put is as the fill in the blank there instead of trying to spell out these next few words for you. I-S. He is present everywhere Always. Everywhere, always. Psalms 139, verse 7 through 11. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? I ascend to heaven, you are there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave, that's not hell. You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness covers me and the light is about me, be night. But God is always there. Mike Benefield, you've been overseas as a missionary, and that's, that's uh, uncomfortable at first, isn't it, when you're going to a strange land? And I remember in one of my classes in seminary, our, uh, the particular professor had been a foreign missionary before he came back to teach, and, and he said something that was profound. He goes, you'll never go anywhere that God is not. Now, a lot of places, even a lot of churches, God's quenched. I mean, he's, in, he, he's, he does, he's not very prevalent because he's so quenched, but you never go anywhere God is not. That, that is so profound. God walks beside you. He's before you. He follows up after you. You're never alone. There's no place you can go where God is not already. The only place where God is not is hell. Now, I, this, is, this is profound. Most of us, at least, at least me, I won't say most of us, when I think about hell, and I believe what the Bible teaches literally about it, it's horrible. The, the suffering, the, the, the fire, those the horrible. But probably the something that we cannot even grasp is that it's a total separation from God. Folks, in your lifetime, you, you may hate God, you might deny you, that God exists, but God's always near. But if a person dies without Christ and enters hell, you're entering a place God never will be and God never is, a place of complete no hope. But we're on the flip side of that right now, aren't we? So there is hope and God is always with us. God is omniscient. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He's all-knowing. Now, this is important, but knowing of all things past present and future, but knowing of all things past, present, and future doesn't create or cause the event because God's foreknowledge does not mean that he creates the event. I'd be like saying God knew the Holocaust was going to happen, so he caused it. Well, that's not true at all, but God is all-knowing. How many of you try to outsmart God sometimes? Everybody raise your hand or you're lying. You're going to lose that chess game, aren't you? God is all-knowing. God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. Aren't you glad you're spelling out is? (laughs) Omnipotent means God is all-powerful. I love what one theologian said. The only limits to God's power are self-imposed. The only limits to God's power are self-imposed. What are some things that God says that he can't do? He can't forgive a sin that's not confessed. True. He's not going to save you unless you will repent and come to him. Very few things God can't do, but anything he can't do, it's self-imposed. I love in Numbers chapter 11, verse 22 and 23, the context that the children of Israel are wandering around the desert and Moses is getting frustrated They called a deacon's meeting. He's ready to fire the deacons. The deacons are ready to fire him. And he says to God, shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for all these people and be enough for them? 
Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered? You've got millions of people now. To gather for them and be enough for them. By the way, they're going to wander for 40 years, remember. And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you will see whether my word will come true or not. How many of you believe God is powerful? You know what God was saying to Moses then? I'll show you. Luke 18, 27 is a great verse. But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Think with me just for a second. Is there some personal ramifications in your life for that tonight? Only if you're praying. Only if you're holding out hope for somebody or some situation. Is that all things are possible with God. Here's the next thing. God is holy. Holy. Holy means separate, morally excellent, and exalted. God is holy. In 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you shall be holy in all your conduct. Since it's, it's written, you shall be holy, for I am. Am holy. God is holy. God is perfectly just. God is perfectly just. He is completely and totally fair. He's right in all he decrees. Again, this is so foreign to us because we're not. I mean, even the very best person in this room, we struggle to be completely fair, to listen, to treat both sides right. We struggle with that. The best person in this room does. God doesn't. God's completely fair. God's not going to treat you any way or I uh, any way that we don't deserve. In fact, God's going to, His grace and mercy treats us a lot better than we deserve. But in the end, when we're judged before God, it'll be completely fair. God is truth. God is truth. All truth harmonizes with God and His truth. Two plus two equals what? Four. You think God knows that? You know, some Christians are so weird. If it's not in the Bible, they, you know, they freak out about it. I go to a doctor, and a doctor treats me, uh, and a doctor's medicine works on me, you know. And, and that doctor's an atheist. I'd rather him be in a God-fearing, tithing First Baptist member. Did you hear all that? You didn't? But you know what? If, if, if he's treating me with truth and, and, and that medicine, the treatments, that comes from God. All truth comes from God. John 14, 6, I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way and the what? And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the truth. You remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate, Jesus mentioned truth and Pilate said, what is truth? You remember that? Nobody? Doesn't that sound like America? I mean, we just full circle. What, what is truth? And lastly, God is love. God is love. This is the biggie. I put it, I put it last, but love permeates all of God's other attributes. John 3, 16, for God so liked the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
For God so loved, God loves so much the world, each, indiv- each individual person is what that means. 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. Boy, if you want to learn some great verses. Beloved, let us love one another, for, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, folks, the, again, the depth of that is we, we can't even touch that hardly. God, listen, God is not just loving. God is love. God is loving, but God's very essence and being is love. So how, how God looks at you, God's justice, God's all power, God's holiness, all that comes through a lens of love. Isn't that wonderful? Folks, I'm going to tell you, you ought to be afraid of the justice of God, and the holiness of God can make me nervous, but all of that is permeated with the love of God. And all God's holiness and justice comes through his love too that's isn't that wonderful i want to end by saying what we started with two weeks ago beliefs matter beliefs determine what you do you have to believe the right things about god to respond properly to him and my prayer is that we will Learn and study and understand the things about God. And then we will respond properly to God. We're going to give a brief time of invitation tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and and for the very first time you need to give your life to Christ. I pray you'll do that. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do that. You can do that after church, or you can come right now. As a Christian, maybe God's speaking to your heart about something. Maybe you want to come pray at the altar or pray with Clayton and I. Let's stand. As God leads you this evening, you come. We'll be waiting on you.